0: Good morning. Welcome to Rich Church. Um, we are in the season of Advent, as, as has been uh, described, and uh, second second Sunday of Advent. Uh, it's a time of waiting. It's a time of putting ourselves in the place of Israel, waiting for uh, the coming Messiah. It's also a remembrance for us because we are too in a, a waiting period of Christ's uh, second return and. Um, One of the ways that God uh, symbolizes this painful waiting uh, is the picture of birth. And so you see these birth narratives throughout uh, Scripture, and we looked at one last week when we looked at uh, Abraham and Sarah and uh, the miraculous birth, right, of of Isaac. And then this morning, we look at another one of these uh, births uh, about a 1,000 years later, uh, and the the birth of Samuel to Hannah. And so what is it about birth that seems to be a good picture for our understanding of a relationship with God? Well, there's waiting involved, right? You're, you're waiting for the baby to be born, or uh, waiting to go into labor, and then waiting for the end of the labor, right? And it's a painful waiting, uh, There can be the pain of infertility leading up to the pregnancy. There's the pain of the pregnancy itself. Nausea, exhaustion, crazy hormones, sleeplessness, back pain, stretch marks, varicose veins. I could go on, but I won't. Um, The pain of labor. I won't go on into that pain of labor. Um, The pain of postpartum, even. Uh, More hormones, and for some, depression. And uh, we, we were going through that waiting this uh, year as a, as a family. We were waiting with my daughter-in-law here, uh, Rebecca, and uh, her husband, our son, Corey. And so we had these, these nine months, or for us about seven months, when we found out about the baby and waiting and waiting and waiting and, and, and waiting with anticipation, but, but also fear and nervousness. And, you know, why, why did we go through that waiting? Well, because of this guy. Wow. Wow. That was that was anticlimactic. This amazing picture of my grandson. And uh, you know, Caleb, he's just trying to give me a hard time, because we get we get Jackson, right? We get Jackson, which we get to spend uh, a few hours with him Friday night because we were babysitting. Uh, and we even call these little babies bundles of joy. Yes, uh, once that kid is out in the world, we just vaguely remember the waiting, vaguely remember the pain in the waiting, at least that's what I'm told by mothers, because many moms sign up to do it again, and it has to be because of that bundle of joy. And so the people of God live out this kind of story where they're waiting painfully and then experience an abundance of joy. Um. I wonder if you find yourself waiting painfully for something. I think most of the human beings that I'm coming in contact with on a regular basis are painfully waiting uh, for something. They're waiting to, be, to receive a bundle of joy that they can kind of see in the distant future or perhaps not so distant future. Again, we saw this in the lives of Abraham and Sarah last week. We see it in the life of Hannah this week in 1 Samuel 1. So if you haven't found 1 Samuel 1 uh, in your Bible, you, you want to do that. Uh, page two 211, I think, is what Christian said. Um, Hannah teaches us how to wait. She teaches us how to wait. because I don't know if you noticed, this, we're not too natural at this. this. This is fairly counterintuitive for us human beings uh, to wait well. The backstory is that uh, Hannah has a husband, uh, Elkanah. I'm going to say I'm different than Christian. We're just making this stuff up. So uh, he said Elkanah, I think, which could be the proper uh, pronunciation, but I'm going to say Elkanah. He's a polygamist, uh, which is no way a description of something that God approves of, but is merely a description of what's going on in uh, the culture of the day. And so he's got two wives and One is Hannah and one is Peninnah, and Peninnah has no problem having children, and she's pretty proud of that. And so she's been bringing forth a lot of children into Elkanah's life, and in contrast, Hannah is having a really big problem with fertility, and she's not having babies, even though she's the favored wife. This is one of the many, many downsides to polygamy is rivalry, of course. And this is a real mess, and it is. And in the midst of a mess is some kind of faithfulness to God, um, which to some degree describes all our lives as a mess and somewhat faithful to God, in the midst of the mess. And this faithfulness to God is being displayed by Elkanah by following the sacrificial law to the T. Like he's, he's, he's making a pilgrimage to. the the tabernacle, once a year to make a blood sacrifice for his sin and the sin of his family. But it's not just Elkanah who has a genuine relationship of some sort with God, it's also Hannah. And Hannah is faithfully waiting for a child for years. Um, And so she's gone to these sacrifices, she's prayed Uh, She's done whatever she can to get God's attention so that she could have a baby, and she's not had that baby, right? She's longing for this and begging God to give her that baby. Have you been there? Of course you have, right? Longed for something, desired something, prayed for something from the bottom of your heart, a new something, a new someone, And God just doesn't seem interested in giving you the thing that you think would make you perfectly happy. And Hannah finds herself in that situation. It's painful. And it's causing Hannah a great deal of pain. And all she wants to be is mom. She's not asking to be a dictator or a billionaire or an NBA star. She's asking to be a mom. And God doesn't seem... Interested. Now, it may sound weird that this is the thing she's fixated on, but primary calling of most every woman in the world before the pill, which was uh, okayed by the FDA in 1960, if you had sex, was your mom. And so this is a, a, a massive calling, a norm, an expectation for every woman on the planet. And not having a baby didn't mean you didn't have worth or dignity, but it took you out of the normal expectations of your world, your culture, your life. Now, we've all been there, perhaps we are there, grieving over unmet expectations, grieving over the fact that maybe we're not graduated from college, or we're grieving over the fact we don't have our dream job, or we're grieving over the fact that we don't have Meaningful relationships, or not enough meaningful relationships, or we're grieving over certain sins that we can't seem to get free from, or we're grieving because we're not equipped to live the Christian life in the way that we thought we should at this point in the game, or we're grieving because we're not married yet, or we're grieving because the marriage we have is not the one we thought Christians should have, or we're grieving because we don't have kids, or we're grieving because the kids we have are not the kids that you thought we should have if we're Christians raising Christian kids. Or we're we're grieving because we don't own a home, or we're grieving because the kind of home that we have, we think this is not the kind of home that is going to be a ministry home or a hospitality home, Or, or we're grieving over not having enough money in the bank account or the retirement account or whatever. There's these norms that we expect, and when we don't have those, we grieve, we are upset, we struggle. Now, we have hundreds of these kinds of expectations. Many of them we're not even <laughs> aware of. They're just kind of in the back of our minds, running all the time. There's, there's something normal, right, that we should have. And, and if, if I ask every one of you in the room, is your life like everyone else, else's life? You're like, no, my life isn't like everyone else's because I don't have X, right? This is such a normal way of behaving as a human being. Hannah finds herself in that place, right? But on top of that, she has a rival wife who's making things even worse, right? 1 Samuel 1, verse 6, her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. That's so mean. Her, Her rival purposely provoking her for what purpose? Just to irritate her. Penaha is mocking her for the fact not only that she can't have a baby, but because God won't give you a baby, right? And so it is extremely painful for Hannah. Now, I don't know if Penaha is giving reasons why God won't give Hannah a baby, but I know where my mind goes, where I'm not getting my expected norm. I think things to myself like God must not be present to me like he is to other people. God just doesn't love me like he loves me other people, or maybe God is punishing me for something that I did or didn't do. The temptation in a time of painful waiting is to actually run away from God, which is actually the opposite of what Hannah does. So 1 Samuel 1, verse 6, again, verse, uh, verse 6, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb, so it went on. Year by year, this was not like six months, okay? This is year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, and therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? It seems that Pentecost's provocation would get worse when they'd make the pilgrimage to the tabernacle. And so here they are in the presence of God, and Peninnah is saying, God won't give you a baby. They're sacrificing animals for sin. The way that would work is that they would bleed the animal, take the blood, sprinkle it on the altar, and then when that would occur, that would atone for the sin of the previous year. And then because of that atonement, they would then have fellowship with God, and they would eat a meal eating the meat that was left over with the priest and that meal would would symbolize that they now were in right relationship with God this high and holy moment was also a moment of greatest pain for Hannah because she's being mocked as one who had been abandoned by God she's comforted by her husband but it seems like weak comfort right isn't isn't my love worth 10 sons baby She's like, not interested, buddy. She's in pain. And so what does she do? Again, the temptation would be to run, run away from God. But this is what she does in her moment of pain. 1 Samuel 1, 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost to the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She goes from the ceremony of the sin sacrifice and reconciliation to a time of prayer. She's not going to waste this moment. She's thinking, I'm on good terms with God right now. My sin is atoned for. I have access to God. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go worship. I'm going to cry out to God. She doesn't want to miss the moment. And she goes to God in prayer, and she's deeply distressed, and she's weeping bitterly. This prayer is a prayer of lament a prayer of lament. She's not pretending. She's not making deals with God. She's vomiting out her pain in the presence of God. We see this kind of praying throughout the scriptures, especially in the Psalms. Here's one example, Psalm 109, verse 21. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. I am poor and needy, My heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. No pretending no deals, just crying out, lamenting. Hannah's teaching us something (laughs) about how you wait painfully. You lament. You lament. You don't pretend that you're not in pain. You don't try to make deals with God. Just bleary-eyed, snot-faced, crying out to God. And she's teaching us that. This, again, may feel counterintuitive, and indeed it is. When we're in pain, we oftentimes want to blame God. And Hannah even has Penahah saying, it's God. God won't let you have a baby. Now, why would anyone run toward the one that you're blaming for the pain? Uh, And to some degree, it is his fault, right? If he has the power to open the womb, then who is to be blamed for the closing of the womb? It is indeed God. It's his fault that there's no baby. But Hannah understands she has nowhere else to go. She has nowhere else to go. The, the, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, <laughs> that's the only one that can do anything about her problem. And so year after year after year, she's been going to God in prayer. And God actually welcomes lament. He welcomes our snotty little faces crying out to him. But this isn't all she prays, right? First Samuel 1 Samuel 1.11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Her request seems to be morphing. It's changing from a Hannah-centered prayer to a God-centered prayer. And again, remember, this is years, year after year of painfully waiting. Something's happening in Hannah. Um, You can imagine some of her previous prayers, right? God, it's not fair. It's not fair that I'm being looked down on by my rival. God, I would be a much better mother than Pinnah, right? She's mean, God. Have you seen her? God, I've been a really good person this year. I mean, why wouldn't you give me a baby? I mean, I deserve it. Right? God, I've learned all the lessons I need to learn. My character has been formed and shaped. It's time for a baby to be given, God. I'm not getting any younger here. God, who's going to take care of me when I'm old? God, God, God. Crying out, lamenting all her thoughts, all her emotions, all the stuff just uh, coming out year after year after year. But here in her prayer, she's both honest about personal affliction, but she's starting to cover some new ground with God. Right? She, she yields her request in a way that actually gives God His way with her and her child. I'm fairly certain that's some new ground. She refers herself multiple times as God's servant. Did you catch that? I'm your servant, I'm your servant, I'm your servant. She's coming under His authority. She's not just lamenting. She's coming under his authority, which includes submission to God, but also dependency on God. Submission to God and dependency on God. You see, again, reminiscent of many of the Psalms. Uh, Here's Psalm 123. It says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Right. That's authority language. And then, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. So you see the the, the worshiper, the prayer, coming under the, the authority of God and then looking to God's hand for provision for what they are depending wholeheartedly on from God. God's not just a provider. He's not a butler. Get me this. Get me that. He's a parent. He's a father. And we can go to him as our authority and receive what we need. And so she's come to this place where she's she's finally submitted herself to the one true God. Jesus teaches us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. All right, you see it? Submitting to his authority, per, per, uh, depending on his provision. God, you are the king of all. I submit to you. You are the utmost authority. And as king, I come to you for what I need. Hannah's teaching us what to do when we are painfully waiting. First, we should pray. Even if all we can get out is a lament. And then on top of that, to submit to, to God as ultimate authority. And that means also depending on him for provision. Um, and in regard to, to, to the, the, the submission to God, she gives God the thing she wants most, which is a baby. Did you catch that? She's, she's giving that baby To God, This is very astounding, right? It's astounding any time a human being turns away from an idol and worships the one true God. This this is what's happening in Hannah's heart. She's turning away from this idol of of motherhood or getting back at the rival wife or whatever it is, probably a lot of that, all, all those things. And she's turning to God with absolute trust. And so she tells God as his servant, that she will not bow down and worship motherhood or getting back at her rival, or a hundred other things that she's tempted to bow down to. And instead, she will bow to God and she'll be a steward of whatever God gives or doesn't give. She makes a Nazarite vow for her future child, so that if if that child is born. The normal Nazarite vow in the Old Testament is a temporary thing, something that an adult would do to set aside a time to be extra devoted. To God, and part of that would be not to cut your hair during that time, and so this is what she means when she says, "If I have this child, I'm not going to allow a razor uh, to 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 be on this child's head." Meaning, I've consecrated this child. This child belongs to you completely, and so she she makes this uh, this vow, and then uh, she she uh, is doing this. In in a time where Israel is absolutely spiritually bankrupt, she's praying with her whole heart to God. She's repenting of her idols and enthroning the one true God in in her heart. And Israel is a total mess, spiritually and morally. Right down to the, to the priests, right? Eli, uh, his sons Hophni and Phinehas are... Literally taking sexual advantage of the women that are working at the tabernacle. Uh, they're also eating certain meats that were supposed to be offered up as sacrifices. and Instead, they're stealing them and using them for their dinner table. Now, Eli's not doing these things per se, but he's not confronting his sons. And he's benefiting from a lot of illicit meat that keeps showing up at the dinner table. The spiritual condition of the leaders in Israel, the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel as a whole, again, is bankrupt. And it's down to the leadership, Eli and his sons. And so when Eli sees Hannah praying, pouring out her soul to God, he doesn't recognize spiritual vitality. He hasn't seen it. I don't even know if he's ever experienced it himself. And so we see this in First 1 Samuel 1.12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Eli doesn't know how to interpret someone pouring their soul out to the Lord, someone lamenting, someone that is submitting and relying upon the one true God. And the spiritual vitality of this moment is, is something shocking to him. He thinks she's drunk because he doesn't have a category for what he's seeing. Now, she's horrified. Uh, she's like, please don't think of me that way. I'm not, I'm not a drunk. Like, I'm literally pouring my soul out to the Lord. And something, something, again, has changed in Hannah at this point in her walk with God. And even hard-hearted, corrupt Eli recognizes it. And he, uh, he says in verse 17, "'Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him.'" And she said, "'Let your servant find favor in your eyes.'" And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That's interesting. right? Hannah's no longer sad. Is that because she's pregnant? No. Is that because she's got her baby? No. Is that because she believes the word of a corrupt priest? I, I doubt it. Right? What, what is it that's caused her to wash her face and, and have joy and, and re-enter into uh, the, the worship that uh, she and her family are a part of? Well, she's gotten something of much greater value than a baby. She's gotten God. (laughs) She has met God. And and so we talked about this last week, that part of the joy in painful waiting is it is in the painful waiting that you get more of God. And consequently, there is joy in getting the greatest treasure that you could ever dream possible. Um, This is more important than pregnancy or motherhood or winning over a rival wife, all those have been dethroned in Hannah's heart. And now the one true God has taken his rightful place. God does answer her prayer. I mean, Peninnah was right to some degree. God had closed her womb and now God was opening her womb. God really is Sovereign over everything, over disease and disasters and weather, stock market, wars, the Internet, and fertility. Even in 2023, we've got a lot of fertility stories <laughs> of people trying to have babies who can't have babies, people that thought they could not have babies anymore and then do do have babies. But a couple in our, um, our, our, current, our previous congregation that was trying desperately to have a baby and using medical intervention to, to try to have a baby, couldn't have a baby, couldn't have a baby. And they finally got pregnant, but they didn't tell anyone. And so one day at, at, at church, uh, this man who, who every once in a while, he'll have a, a prophetic dream. And this thing will be right on the money. And he goes up to this couple. He doesn't even really know them that well. And he said, hey, I had a dream last night that there's something new being birthed in your life. And I, you guys aren't pregnant as far as I know, so uh, maybe it's like an opportunity or something. They were floored. It was God's way of saying, hey, I am still sovereign over this whole situation, right? Fast forward a few years later, they take us to dinner. By this time, they've had two, uh, two children with, with medical help, and they say, you're not going to believe this, but we're about to have our third child, and this time there's no medical intervention. Right? God is sovereign over these things. He's in control of these things. Even in modern uh, times where we think we have full control over whatever we want control over. God God was doing something in Hannah through her painful waiting. We can see it in this unfolding story. She goes from kind of entitled, angry, depressed to this submitted, dependent, joyful person. And when she has Samuel, she cares for him like only a mother could. She nurses him, diapers him, protects him, plays with him, and then when he's old enough to eat solid food, she drops him off at the tabernacle with Eli. This is her fulfilling the vow that she would give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And after she drops this little baby off with with crazy Eli. Uh, She prays a prayer. It's a famous prayer in the Bible. It's a glorious prayer. And it's not a prayer of lament. You would think this mother who had sort of enthroned motherhood in her heart would be lamenting that she just handed off her her child. But this is the prayer that she prays uh, after she uh, hands off Samuel to Eli at the tabernacle. This is 1 Samuel 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. The feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He makes low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in a darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge in the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's not a lament at all. It's a praising of God, sovereign God. Who uses that sovereign power to lift up the lowly? Right? That's what she prays as she drops her son off uh, at the tabernacle. Now, I don't know. I read that and I, I say, I wish I knew God like that, right? I want to know God like like Hannah knows God as, as I see that unfolding in her life. Like what would Hannah say if we asked, hey, how how can I know God? And, I, and I, think, uh, I think Hannah would say, first, you should pray, right? You should pray. You should, you should not run away from God. You should run toward God, and you should pray. And you should pray, especially in your places of pain, especially in your pra- places of pain. And when you're in those places of pain, praying, you should lament. You, you should pour out whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is you're hurting over, Pour it out before him, but also submit to his authority. And as your authority, know that you can depend on him as your provider. And uh, you may be thinking, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I'm not really, I don't have really many, many places of pain. I, I, I would say this, good, good. Good for you. Like, that's good. I'm, I'm, I don't want you to be in pain. I would also say you should lean in more to the life of the local church because this pain, these painful waiting prayers are not just for ourselves, but they're also for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So If you always want to have uh, some, something that you're meeting God in the midst of painful waiting, lean into the life of the local church. Right? And also lean in to the cosmic unfolding of the larger story. Right? That this whole world is painfully waiting for Christ to return. And as we pray as individuals, we're, we're sort of joining the creation, as we're crying out to God to come and to make things right. So I think all of us at some level, even though maybe personally we're not going through a painful waiting time, we, we ought to be praying in this sort of painful waiting way because either we're praying along with others in, in the church or we're praying just in general about the coming of Christ. Christ himself modeled these kinds of painful waiting prayers. Right, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus knows what it's like to to cry out in prayer and in, in pain. And again, what are those places for you this morning? Cry out, lament to God over those painful places, uh, but also come under his good authority as your uh, ultimate authority and as the one who can meet those needs that you're crying out for. And again, this is what we're doing in Advent, right? We're, we're, we're waiting in pain, waiting for Christ to come. Now, thankfully, Jesus did this perfectly, right? And not just so he could be an example for us in our painful waiting, but that, so that he could be a source of salvation, right? To, to meet our deepest need, our deepest pain. We Again, read in Hebrews 5, we Read this verse 8, he was a son and he learned obedience through what he suffered. And then verse 9, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so Christ, who painfully waited, did so absolutely perfectly so that he could then offer salvation to us. Which is the thing that we desperately need the most, the deepest of all needs. Christ has met that need. And Jesus prayed a prayer in pain that we will never have to pray. Sometimes this is called the the prayer of dereliction, which just means abandonment. And on the cross, he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he prayed that because he was taking the forsaking that we deserved because of our sin so that we will never have to be forsaken. That when we lament to God, we don't, we don't have to say, I'm forsaken. We can say, no, I have relationship with God. This is something, again, Hannah understood this blood sacrifice was giving her full access to God. But we understand those sacrifices pointed to the one, in, uh, the, the, the one and only, the, the one that all those other sacrifices pointed to, the, the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross. And because of that, we can... Approach Him. We can go to Him in prayer and painfully wait in His presence. If you're not yet a Christian, I want to encourage you to turn to Christ in faith this morning. Because of what He's done on the cross uh, to forgive you of your sins, you can turn to Him in faith and you can have that access to Him. And you can painfully wait in His presence, but also experience an abundance of joy, both now and in the life to come. And and this is this this is partly again we're we're reflecting on that this painful waiting but knowing there's an abundance of joy that we're waiting for, and if you're a Christian, um, we're turning to God this morning. We're we're bringing our places of pain. We're we're asking God uh, to meet us in that and to meet those needs, but also with grateful hearts that He has met the deepest need that we could ever dream possible. Right, He's. Uh, met that uh, at the cross. We're reminded of that every time we come to this table, uh, that on the night on which uh, Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, Jesus took bread, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He wanted us to remember his most painful moment, not, not so that we would just think about you know, his pain, But to think about the taking on of that pain, bringing hope and joy and healing into our lives. In the same way, he took the cup and after he blessed it, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's that's some good news. Forgiveness of sins. This blood sacrifice has opened up this relationship that we have with God to bring whatever is going on in our lives to him in prayer. So if you are a Christ follower, we welcome you to the table. If you're not yet a Christian, and uh, again, we're encouraging you to take Christ by faith this morning, but if you're not yet a Christian, we're glad you're here, but we want to ask you during this time not to take the bread and the cup because it is a signifier that you are uh, a Christ follower. And uh, I want to pray, and then Ren, can you think you can help me with this? Okay. God, thank you for um, just the reminder of how you work in our lives. Lord, it can be so confusing at times when there's things that we think would be so perfect if you did this or that. And yet, um, God, you are all wise and all powerful and all good. And so I I do pray for each heart in the room. Everyone at some level is painfully waiting for something. And I pray you'd meet each of us. God, meet us Meet us with, with comfort, with encouragement, God, with, with hope. Uh, God, that, that you can be trusted, that whatever is going to come around the, the, the next corner, you're there already. And that we can trust you in that. I pray that as we do some of that painful waiting, God, that we would get more of you. We wouldn't just get whatever it is that we want but we would actually get the thing that we need more than anything, that we would get more of you. And so as we remember what you did on the cross, uh, with your broken body and your blood uh, poured out, God, we are grateful that you did that so that we could get more of you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.